in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians was written, written, not written, I hope it wasn't written. It was written by the Apostle Paul in prison to the church in Colossae. So we, are, uh, we have four more weeks after this, okay, to work our way through the book of Colossians. And now we're going to finish chapter 2 today. So it's like, if you're new to J-Road, we go through it verse by verse as not to pull one verse out of context, but to read the Bible in its context. So whatever week we land on, that's what we're preaching on for that Sunday. And so we're going to be through the book of Colossians. Actually, next week we have a special guest, Justin Thornton. I don't know if anybody ever heard of Justin. He's going to be here next week preaching. Um, next week is Church Planting Sunday, so woo-woo. Um, that was Michael Burroughs, if you just never met Michael Burroughs. He's our resident church planter, and um, we're going to be planting a new congregation and a new movement Easter of 2022, Lord willing. Um, we always say Lord willing no matter what, all right? You know, so Lord willing, tomorrow I'll wake up, you know. <laughs> Lord willing, Easter 2022, we'll, we'll plant that. So Michael's doing that. Justin is going to be here next Sunday and church planting Sunday and talk about church multiplication. And so we're really excited about that. So mark your calendars and don't skip church next Sunday. Um, Justin will be here. Um, so we're, again, we're in the book of Colossians. So today, this passage, and we're really in um, verse 16 through the rest of the chapter, um, which brings us to verse 22, which brings us to verse 23, actually, 16 through 23. And this passage is, a, is all about, he's saying this in a sense. I'll give you kind of a, a rough overview. He's saying, be careful with the people that you listen to in your life. Okay? You're going to hear a lot of voices in your life. And we as Christians need to be careful of what voices we listen to and which ones we kind of filter out. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. And, and we know that, right? But sometimes we don't always do that. And every voice that comes into our life, we apply it to our heart or we apply it to our soul. And what Paul's saying is, well, wait a second. There's some voices that come in your life that you might need to filter out. Not that you don't love these people, not that you don't care for these people, but you filter out how it affects your heart. You don't take every word. Like, if my wife rebukes me, I'm taking that rebuke and I'm applying that to my soul because it's my wife. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm taking it before Jesus. I'm praying about it. If I've hurt her, it breaks me. You know, all those good things. But Paul's saying, don't give everybody's voice that same value in your life. You know what I mean? Like, some, there's, like, 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 and he'll talk about it. So I want to put that out there, and then we'll, we'll go into it. So the premise is before verse 16. This is what we preached about a couple weeks ago in verse 8. It says this. I think it'll be on the screens. Uh, Colossians 2.8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So he's saying, even right there in verse 8, see to it that nobody takes you captive by what they say. Like, think about what they're saying. And, and is this something you're going to apply to your life? Or is this something that you're going to kind of filter out of your life? So Paul already is talking about this early on in the chapter. But, you know, you might be sitting here and be like, well, wait a second. I thought the Christian message was love people. Like, I'm not saying don't love people. I'm not saying that everybody has value. I'm saying that every voice that comes in your life, you shouldn't give equal value, right? 
Every word of rebuke comes to you. Some you filter out, some you apply to your heart. And so, I'm not saying that as we Christians we shouldn't love people, we shouldn't care people, care for people, we should love our enemies. But Paul throws a curveball and says, watch out for some people. You know, that, that message comes in the Bible sometimes. Like, like some people you got to watch out for. You'd be like, that doesn't sound very Christian-like. You know, you know, aren't we supposed to be loving? Yes. Aren't we supposed to, but we're called to be wise. Look at this, and look what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, okay? He says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So he's saying, I want you to, like, Jesus is Jesus saying this. Like, I want you to be, I'm sending you out among sheep among wolves, so you're going to be amongst wolves. So I want you to be as wise as serpents, but also I want you to be as innocent as doves. So as Christians, we have to, you know, practice discernment. We have to practice, is this a voice we listen to? Is this a voice we don't listen to? Otherwise, if we listen to every voice that comes in our life, what does the Bible say that we are like? A breeze or a, a, a wave just tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. We're just, okay, I'll listen to this voice. I'm going to listen to this voice. I'm going to listen to this voice. And he's saying, don't listen to every voice. You have to listen to some voices. I'm not saying that anytime somebody challenges you or rebukes you, you should say, oh, no, don't judge me. No. Know the source and apply those voices to your heart and see what God wants you to change about yourself. So, and we'll get into that. John, you know, first John says, test the spirits to see if they are from God or not. So today Paul is writing this letter and he builds this out, this warning to the church. So it's, today's about two different warnings. In the first, he has what I call two do not let statements, okay? Two do not let statements. In the first do not let statement is this. Do not let anybody, anyone judge you based on organized religion. I don't know if this judge, that wasn't supposed to be capitalized, so it's not like judges, like Judge Judy, all right? That, you know, for all you grammar folks. Um, but it says this, do not let anybody judge you based on organized religion. And so that's kind of my, my first point. And so look what he says in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religi religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anybody judge you based on these things. So there's a big word. It's called asceticism. Many, may, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, but this is what this whole passage today is about, is asceticism, and it's, it's man-made rules in order to gain favor with God. So back then, in the early church, they had a lot of man-made, like people were coming up with man-made rules in order to be, gain favor with God. Okay, so the people in the church were judging others. A lot of these people were Jewish people that got saved. So they were Jewish Christians. And if you know anything about Old Testament Jewish folks, they had a lot of ceremonial laws, right? They couldn't eat certain food. They couldn't drink certain things. They had to honor certain festivals. They had Passover that they had to obey. And those were good things to do to keep up that tradition. But they were telling other Christians, like maybe non-Jewish Christians, hey, you need to do this or you're not really saved. You're not really saved because you're not doing this festival. You're not 
circumcising your children. You are eating pork. These are things that you shouldn't do. And in reality, these are shadow of things that were to come. And now, in the thing to come was Jesus. Jesus was that shadow fulfilled. And so he's saying, now that Jesus has come, we don't have to do these things. We have freedom from these things, okay? And we have freedom from the law in these festivals. So those festivals, those regulations were only a shadow of things to come. They looked forward to the Messiah, and now the Messiah has come, so we don't have to continue to do those things. A lot of Jewish Christians still do them as like a celebration or a remembrance, but it's not necessary for salvation. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so the Jewish folks celebrated Passover every, every year. You know, they had a Passover meal. They celebrated it. They're looking forward to the Passover lamb, the Messiah coming. And, he, and in Paul saying in 1 Corinthians, like the Passover lamb has came. It's Jesus, and he's been sacrificed. He's rose from the dead. So we don't have to keep doing these things. And so that's kind of a bit of a context what was going on there. But my question for you is, has anyone ever accused you of sinning in your life, but it really wasn't rooted in the Bible? Has anybody ever accused you of, of sinning, or anybody ever rebuked you, and what they were saying wasn't really rooted in the Bible? Because that's really what was happening here, is they were saying, hey, you're not doing this festival, so you are in sin. But if it really wasn't rooted in, in Scripture, it really wasn't rooted in the teachings of Jesus. And so, has anybody ever done that with you? Right? Maybe if you grew up in a certain church background, somebody has. You know, as we talked about, the, one, the main point a couple minutes ago is don't let anybody judge you based on organized religion. I just want to say, I am not a fan of organized religion. You might be like, well, what do you mean? Isn't this organized religion? What we're doing this morning is the Christians, like the church is gathering, but we're not, we are not in a church right? We are, we are a church. We are in our church's building that the church owns, but this building is not a church. You guys who have heartbeats are the church, amen? And we do things to draw closer to Jesus, but organized religion becomes ritualistic. And when it becomes ritualistic, it becomes void of the Spirit, and it becomes void of our personal commitments. It just becomes you go through the religious motions, and that's really what the Pharisees were doing, right? They were going through the religious motions, and they got caught up in organized religion. And many times, if you grew up in certain churches, they had these man-made rules. Like, honestly, the church we grew up in is you couldn't be an elder of the church if you drank any alcohol whatsoever. So if you had a glass of wine once in a while or you had a beer, you were disqualified from being an elder, Anybody else have, maybe have a similar experience? And so, what they were saying is, it doesn't say in the Bible you can't drink alcohol. It says you, you can't, you, it's a sin to get drunk, but it says you can't drink, it doesn't say anywhere you can't drink alcohol. So what we've done is, we've taken a man-made rule saying, you can't even drink alcohol at all, and saying, if you do that, you are disqualified for being elders. And if they found a six-pack of Natty Light in an elder's fridge, he was kicked off right? Even though he would sip on that joint like once a week, he was done. 
And so, and it was even applied to like the church. If you, if you drank, that was a sin. And even if you go back further, if you guys remember, I tell this story all the time, but like it was frowned upon in the church. Like at one time, dancing was frowned upon. And back in the day, going to the movie theaters was really sinful. Because back in the day, there was a big movement. Like, movies were sinful. And if you got caught going to a theater, it was sinful. And so, I remember my old pastor, he grew up in a church like that. And he almost got, his family almost got kicked out of the church because they took their kids to go see Bambi when it opened up in theaters. I'm dead serious. Because the church said, this, this family is going down a slippery slope of sin. It's a man-made rule. It's a man-made rule not rooted in Scripture. Um, and it, one of the last ones, at Nicole and I, after we were pastors and the holiest people in the church, you know, because that's what pastors are, right? The holiest, most sinless people in the church. After we were pastors uh, at our last church, we took ballroom dancing lessons, right? Just for like one season. We learned how to do like what is it? The waltz, the foxtrot. We were doing all the dances, the swing. We did it, and there's a couple people in the church that found out about it, and they said, pastors shouldn't be doing stuff like this. Right? They said, dancing just promotes sin. Like, this wasn't everybody in the church, but there's a few people in the church that had this, and they approached me and rebuked me for dancing. I was like, if you're mad about Nicole and I dancing, you don't want to know what happens at home. <laughs> right? <laughs> Dancing's the least of your worries, if that's what you're worried about. And what they're doing is, like, they're taking man-made rules not rooted in Scripture and applying it as sin in somebody's life. Like, to that person, I was falling into sin. And, you know, I disagreed, and we talked about it, and I still love those folks. I still talk to them, but, you know, that's how they were conditioned to believe. They grew up that way. You know, they grew up back in the 60s or 50s. If Dancing was evil. Rock music, evil. Drinking, evil. Smoking, evil. All this stuff was evil. And a lot of it's man-made rules. <clears throat> and you go back to, like, is smoking a sin? Um, it doesn't say in the Bible that. It does say in the Bible your body's a temple, so you got to take care of it. But in my opinion, drinking two Mountain Dews a day is the same as smoking. Right? You're still hurting your body, but we don't go after the person who drinks three Mountain Dews a day. Right? But somehow we demonize smoking. In my opinion, like, it's like you're just, if you're hurting your body, you're hurting your body. And, and if it's not healthy, you shouldn't do it, you shouldn't do it. You know, but that's between you and the Lord to figure out between yourself. Um, but we've taken these man-made rules and applied it to Scripture. So, you know, as a church, we need to learn to the difference between a good rebuke and a bad rebuke. Because on the flip side of this, on the total flip side of this, in our culture, we've, we've said this thing where, like, nobody should judge anybody, right? Nobody should judge anybody, so you have no right to judge me. That's also not true. Because we're a church family, we're called to, like, speak into each other's lives, right? Like, Andy is a Christian brother of mine who, you know, he's an elder. He should judge me once in a while, right? And I shouldn't say, you should never judge me. No, like we're called to like judge each other, right? If he sees me coming out of the liquor store with like 
you know, ten-fifths of Jack Daniels, he should ask some questions. Like, don't judge me. <laughs> Hashtag YOLO. You know, like, he should ask, what are you doing? You know, is that, is that all for you? <laughs> if it is, you know, you know, I don't know. You need to think about things for a minute. If I see, you know, people that are not married and they're partners of J-Road, I'm going to ask them, like, if they're living together, why are y'all living together? Like, are y'all in separate rooms? Are y'all doing that thing? Are, like, because, like, I'll ask that. And they shouldn't say, hey, you shouldn't judge me. Like, no, we're a Christian family. I do the same for my sister or brother, my real sister or brother. We're called to rebuke each other with love and challenge each other with love. That's okay. If I catch you lying, I'm going to call you out about it. If you catch me lying, call me out about it. It's okay, right? In our society, we say, nobody judge anybody. Everybody mind their own business. But that's not true in the church. We are called to be a family of God. So in an extent, we could be in each other's business a little bit, but we need to filter out between good and bad rebukes. So I made a short list. It's really short. Maybe it's not the most intelligent thing you've ever seen, but it's, 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 it's a good list, okay? Um, I think it's coming. Okay, good rebukes and bad rebukes. A good rebuke, does that, everybody know what a rebuke is? Challenging somebody with love. If you catch your brother or sister lying, you say, hey, you shouldn't lie. I love you too much for, to watch you lie like that. And they say, you know what, you're right, I, sh- you know, I shouldn't lie. That's a rebuke. It's a gentle challenge. So a good rebuke is rooted in the Bible. So if Andy rebukes me, he should bring a scripture with it and say, says this in the Bible, I just want to bring this to you. Um, a bad rebuke is usually rooted in opinion. I think that you should do this. I think you should do this. Well, if there's not a Bible verse attached to that, it's not a good rebuke. Like, bring a Bible verse if you're going to rebuke somebody and, and draw it back to God's word. Um, good rebuke is meant to build somebody up. A bad rebuke is meant to tear somebody down. So if I rebuke somebody, and we all know it's hard work to rebuke somebody, but if I rebuke one of you guys, you better believe I probably have a relationship with you in some way, and you better believe I'm rebuking you to build you up as a Christian. I want you to be closer to Jesus. I want you to go do mission for Jesus. So I'm doing this to build you up and hopefully make, help you be a better dad, help you be a better mom. I'm doing this to build you up. I want to see you succeed. And if you sin and keep going off the path, you're not going to be where Jesus wants you. So I do this because I love you so much. And you guys should rebuke each other because you love them so much that you want them to be where God wants them to be. A bad rebuke is meant to tear somebody down. You know, if somebody doesn't have a relationship with you, they don't love you, they don't want you to be closer to Jesus, they're just throwing darts at you, that's usually meant to tear you down. Right? Like, you could tell the difference what's really trying to build you up and what's really just not helpful, not constructive, and really going to tear you down. Anytime we rebuke somebody, it should be done with love, and it should be done with relationship. That's why if, if you guys see somebody in sin, like your brother or sister, you should be the one to talk to them. Because chances are you have a better relationship than I do. And so you come to the pastor being like, hey, so-and-so did this. 
It's like, did you talk to them? No, I want you to. No, you should. You have a, a closer relationship with them, and you have a, a deeper walk with them, and you love them probably more than I do because it's your brother or sister, so you do it. They're going to listen to you more than me. And so I want to encourage you, church, let people talk into your life. Let people rebuke you once in a while. Don't be so defensive when somebody calls you out. If it's done with love, if it's rooted in the Bible, and it's meant to build you up, right? And so he goes on to his second do not let statement. And on the flip side, before I leave, if anybody is rebuking you, and like Paul said, based on religious things, based on, you know, things that aren't rooted in the Bible, it's okay to filter those rebukes out and be like, you know what, you know, I'm not going to listen to that right now. It's okay to say that, too. So the second do not let statement is this. And I, I fashioned this phrase together. I think it's the next one. It says this. Do not let somebody, do not let an unbeliever, oh, you go to the next one. Come on, y'all. <laughs> I'm just messing around. Uh, don't ever take me too seriously. All right. Do not let, so what Paul's saying in the next verse, and I'll let you guys read it for yourselves in the next verse, but what Paul's saying in the next verse is, do not let an unbeliever or a backslidden believer disqualify you. That's the gist of what Paul's saying in the next verse. So I'll share that with you, and then I'll read the context, okay? So like he's saying, if an unbeliever comes to you and and tries to disqualify you, or somebody who's just a backslidden Christian tries to disqualify you, be on guard against that, okay? So this is what he says in verse 18 and see if you agree. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Apparently, there's a lot of people back then worshiping angels. Um, It was a big thing in the church. But they delight in false humility and and they worship angels. Don't let them disqualify you. What What does it mean to disqualify somebody? It's to say, I don't think you're a believer. Well, don't let those people say that about you. Okay, it goes on to say, Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. And so in verse 19, it says, They have lost connection with the head. Who is the head? If ever I ask you a question in church, just say Jesus. <laughs> what day is it tomorrow? Thank you. Good. Now you know. What's my name? No, it's Jim. Come on. See, see, you can't do it with everything. Um, but he's saying these people who are trying to disqualify you, they've lost connection to the head, meaning that they were Christians at one time and they've kind of fallen away from Jesus. Or they aren't Christians at all. They've, like, lost connection. Remember when I did that illustration a couple weeks ago with the light in the, in the extension cord? And I said, we need to abide in Christ. And I, like, plugged it in. And it's like, we abide in Jesus every day. He's saying, these people that are coming to you are not abiding in Jesus. They've lost connection to the head. And the head is Jesus. And so he's saying, be careful listening to these folks. If someone is giving you direction that seems iffy, 
in your life. Like they're giving you life direction, life coaching, just telling you what to do. If they're giving you a direction that seems iffy, step back and ask yourselves, are these people the ones I should be taking life advice from? Like it's okay to ask that. Are these the people that I should be taking direction from in my life? And Paul's saying, don't. Don't. There is awesome people at J-Road that are filled with the Spirit, that are part of the church body, that you should. But not every voice in your life that you work with, that you live next to, that you're in community with, out in the community, like, you shouldn't take advice from everybody. These aren't the people that you should listen to to give you direction. Love these folks, show respect to these folks, but don't let them disqualify you, is what Paul's saying. And if an unbeliever gives you spiritual advice, that should be a major red flag, right? (laughs) But that happens often, right? Like, people that aren't following Jesus try to give you spiritual advice. And that should be a red flag. And that's oftentimes where it comes from. You guys have heard it. People at your workplace or people in your family that maybe don't know Jesus, they'll say things like this. You call yourself a Christian, right? They'll throw those darts at you. You call yourself a Christian. I don't think you're a Christian. That's an example of a non-believer trying to disqualify you. You really think you're a Christian? You're not. You're all the same. All you Christians are the same. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. (laughs) You're all a bunch of hypocrites. And sometimes we think like, hmm, like, is, like, you know, that, that shouldn't affect you. It's saying it's, it comes from somebody who's not connected with the head. We should filter out those voices. And, and there's going to be times people that you work with, they'd be like, I don't even believe you're a Christian. Like, That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Love them, care for them, but don't let their af- voice affect you emotionally and spiritually. You can filter that out. And if you are walking with Jesus— you will be able to filter out these voices more effectively. Amen? Because sometimes these voices come in and it crushes us. Anybody have here ever been crushed by somebody's sharp tongue before? I have. Once a month, maybe. Maybe twice a month. Yeah. People have sharp tongues. And when they come at you and say things to you, and they put their venom on you, it breaks you down, it hurts you, it affects you, and it puts you in a depression, and it makes you upset. And it's usually because we're not abiding in Christ, and we're not finding our identity in Christ. And so the words of somebody who's not even following Jesus has just tore us down. But man, when you're walking with Jesus and you got the spiritual armor on, the Bible says you got your shield and you're blocking the fiery darts of the enemy, it's like, okay, all right, that's a nice opinion you got there. I'm going to go about my day. <laughs> I like that that's what you think about me, but that's not the truth. Amen? <laughs> Some of us need to hear this. Because people are going to say truths about you that's not true, and you need to determine it, you know, that you're going to block it out now before it happens. Right? Because people are going to say things about you that aren't true. And they're going to make you feel this small. And if your identity is not rooted in Jesus, you will live the rest of your week feeling this small. And you'll just feel defeated because somebody just cut you down to size and you took their words and applied it to your heart. Learn to filter out the voices, what Paul's saying. Don't let these people disqualify you. 
So Paul ends by making this, um, by linking everything back to our identity in Jesus. He links everything back to our identity in Jesus. And so we're going to read verse 20 and 23. It says this. This ends out chapter 2. He said, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's like so funny that that's just a Bible verse right there. I'm going to put that in one of your guys' like birthday cards. I'm just going to say Colossians 2.21. And you're going to look it up and it's just going to say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Sorry. What's that? Put it on the birthday cake. I'm going to get it tattooed on my arm. Colossians 2.21. This says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch this arm. Yes, that's perfect. I should have got that. should get that. Yes, put it on a COVID sign. Colossians 2.21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, because you'll die. Um, okay, sorry. So Paul is talking about you died with Christ. Whenever the Bible says you have died with Christ, it's saying you have a new identity. You have a new identity, and your identity is found in Christ. Verse 22, these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. I hope any church that you find yourself in or anybody who teaches here at J-Road, we're not just teaching human commands and human teachings. That's why I try to stick very closely to the Bible because if I preach a whole message and at the very end I put in a little scripture, that, that is dangerous because that could be that I'm just teaching human opinions, human commands, human teachings. Okay? So verse 23, Such regulations indeed have their absent of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any real value in restraining sensual indulgence saying you died with Christ. You're a new identity in Christ. Whenever, again, whenever the Bible says you have died with Christ, it's saying that whatever identity you had is now Christ. Whatever identity you had is now in Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are first and foremost a Christian before you're anything else. Before you're a husband, before you're a wife, before you're a mother, before you're a father, before you're a neighbor, before you're a steel worker or a nurse or wherever you happen to work, your identity is first in Christ. Amen? And so I mean, that's where we got to center our identity. Our old self has died with Christ. And so our identity is in Christ. J-Road, where is your identity found in? Chances are, every time during our life, if we're not careful, we tend to tie our identity to other things. And that's not good. And maybe there's some of you here this morning that have slipped into tying your identity to something else. Whether it's your job and like, hey, you are like the man at your job. You are the boss lady at your job. You do it better than anybody else. People respect you. You are, you know, King Tut or Queen Tut at your job. It is awesome. That is not your identity. 
That's something that you do very well, but it's not your identity. Right? Unbelievers do that because they don't have any other identity. So they tie their identity to their husband. They tie their identity to their wife. They tie their identity to a car. They tie their identity to their children. They tie their identity to their house. They tie their identity to their job. And when they lose their job, they have lost their core identity. When their spouse leaves them, they have lost their core identity. When their kids grow up and leave the house, they have no core identity. And so he's saying anything that you wrap your identity into will one day perish. And so first and foremost, we need to wrap it in Christ. We died with Christ, we've raised with Christ, we're a new creation, the old is gone. And what the religious people back then were doing was, they were tying their identity to not Christ, which we should, but they were tying it to being a good person. And if we're not careful, you might have just heard me say, tie your identity to being a good person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying tie your identity to Christ. And so your identity might be wrapped up in this. I'm a good person. I don't get drunk. I'm honest. I go to church. And then when their life starts to crumble around, they're saying, why, God, I did everything you wanted me to do. I went to church every Sunday. I didn't get drunk. I was a good person. And what asceticism does is you are doing these things to try to earn favor with God. And God's saying, when you come to me and your identity is found in me, you don't have to strive to be a good person. I make you a good person. All these things are good, but if our core identity is not found in Christ, we're susceptible to having our whole lives washed out, our joy taken away, our hope taken away. And so he's saying our identity has to be found in Jesus. These man-made rules that Paul is talking about and that we do are an outward striving to, for holiness. In true holiness is found in walking with Jesus every day. Praying to Jesus when you're driving, praying to Jesus when you wake up in the morning, praying to Jesus when you go to bed. And so if there's anything in your life that you have tied your identity to, now is the time to hand that over to Jesus. I'm not saying quit your job, but I'm saying in prayer, say, God, I've wrapped my job as my identity. I'm sorry. I'm making you my identity. God, I've wrapped my good grades in my identity. I'm sorry. I want to make you my identity. God, I made whatever it is. I made this person my identity, and I don't want to do that anymore. So what is it for you that you've tied your identity to? Think about that for a second. Friends, family, career, being good, being at church every Sunday. What have you tied your identity to that wasn't Jesus? Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for this word today. Help us filter out the voices in our life, the ones that are just said to tear us down. Help us block those out and brush it off. And help us listen to the good rebukes and apply those to our hearts and grow from them because we know that you're calling people to speak into our lives. And God, help us not let anybody who's not even following you or doesn't claim you as Lord, God, help them not tear us down either and, and help us love them, but not let their words destroy us because 
our identity is found in you. Just like that verse, Lord, I pray that we remember, supernaturally remember that worship song that we said, I am who you say I am. I'm not who my coworkers say I am. I'm not who the IRS says I am. For some of you that are doing your taxes right now. I'm not who anybody says. I'm who you says. And you says, you call me child. You call me son. You call me your daughter. And God, right now, anybody here that has tied their identity to something else other than you, God, I pray that they give that over to you now. I pray that they ask forgiveness for making that their identity. I pray that they say they're sorry. I pray that they hand that over to you and they accept their core identity as a follower of Jesus. Help us identify what we're making idols in our life. Help us point out what we're making idols and wrapping up our identity in. So Lord, we love you. God, we walk with you. God, every area of our life, we make you Lord. God, we make you Lord of our our bodies. We make you Lord of our households. We make you Lord of our jobs. We make you Lord of our families. We make you Lord of every aspect. And we just give it all to you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.